Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, I'm so excited about today's interview because Stephanie is a new friend I've gotten to know online over the past year, and I deeply admire and respect her. Perhaps it's in part because we both define ourselves as deep thinkers who process verbally. She's also able to look back at her 25-year history with an eating disorder and speak about it with an amazing amount of wisdom and self-compassion. Our conversation is so good. I don't want to delay any further. Let's jump right into it. Stephanie is a 41-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as white, straight, monogamous, and married. She has three daughters under the age of 10, and she describes her body as mid-size curvy. I am so pleased to introduce Stephanie. Friends, I am so happy to be welcoming my friend Stephanie to the show today. Um, You are somebody who I know outside of the world of sex education, uh, who I have a great deal of respect and admiration for. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is new and exciting for me. So I am excited to dig in. Fabulous. All right. Uh, Well, the first question that I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Okay, that's an easy one. Um, I guess I was about four, five, or six, somewhere in that time frame. And I discovered, well, when we were kids, we had this old Fisher-Price record player. And these records were like, I don't know, maybe like not even a centimeter thick. And I noticed that when I held them against my genital area and like rubbed them around, I was getting this like level of excitement that I had never felt before. And I, yeah, I was young and I don't even remember exactly how like what made me do it. I guess it just sort of happened. I just remember it happening. I remember um, engaging in this behavior, like in 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 the open world and like on the couch, in school, as a kindergartner. And I remember being very shamed for it um, and told, um, I mean, I didn't understand it as something. I I just didn't, it was completely neutral to me um, in terms of, I didn't understand that it was a private thing or anything like that. Um, And I just remember my mother and my teacher just, you know, really getting like offended by it and telling me to, you know, to stop that right now, stop that right now. So it became something I did in secret. Yeah. I've heard versions of this story in so many times, 
usually it's a teddy bear, a blanket, a stuffed animal. I've never heard it with a record before. (laughs) You know, I was innovative, you know. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) And I taught my sister as well. Really? Yeah, she was a couple years younger than me. And we so it became our thing that we did together, shamefully, but we couldn't help ourselves kind of thing as we got older. Yeah. So how long do you did this continue? And was it always with a record? Or did you move on to other objects? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was the record at first. And then as I got older, and I think once I um, internalized that this was a shameful thing, I no longer used the record and I started to use just my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shame grew over time. It never stopped um, through like my like middle school and high school, but it was something that I started to carry around with me. I, I had no, I'd never been, masturbation was never discussed in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a word I heard used by like other kids in school, even as I got older but only like as this very taboo subject. Um, And I remember there was a girl I went to school with who openly admitted to masturbating and was fine with it. And I remember people talking about it. And I remember just feeling like I would always feel like the red would rush to my face. Mm -hmm. And I would just feel this sense of, oh my God, I do that. But I couldn't own it the way she could. And I I would vehemently deny it. And I just... um, it was a real, it got to be as like in um, middle school and high school, a really big source of shame for me um, to the point where I would like tell people I had the, um, a, a terrible, terrible secret mm. and um, would never talk about it to anyone. But I really did believe it was a terrible secret. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry that you went through that. Mm. Did you as a child come to something that you would now recognize as an orgasm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I did. I remember that from from the Fisher Price records, straight on through. I don't think I understood or had heard the word orgasm until later. I mean, obviously, when I was a kid, I didn't know that word, mm-hmm. but I would feel that way, and I, I understood that. And when I learned what an orgasm was, I suddenly was like, "Oh, that's what that's a name for it. That's yeah. what that is." Yeah, yeah. When you moved from the record, which is a big flat object to your hand, did you continue to use your hand as like a big flat object? Or did you begin to experiment with like fingers and different ways of doing it? I continued to use it in the same way just as like, um, it was just a form of tr- of friction. Mm-hmm. Um, I used my hand flat against myself. I never considered using a finger. It, it wasn't something that I that entered my mind ever. And if it had, I don't think I would have followed on that. Mm. The idea of a finger insertion was not something I wanted, even from guys later on, like as I started dating, and even as far as putting a tampon in, mm-hmm. um, I wanted nothing to do with anything inside of me. I was very afraid of that. Do you think that had something to do with the shame or that was inflicted over the masturbation or is that a completely separate thing? What I remember of that feeling was something more like I felt broken. I felt like um, there was no access inside. And I don't know where I came up with that. I just remember thinking I have a broken vagina. Like I don't mm. have... Um, there's something wrong with it. I don't know if that was an internalized form of that shame, feeling like I was wrong Um, But I 
had a sense that something was wrong there. And so I, I think I would just clamp like clench up when I like when I did get my period and it was time to like try a tampon, like I just couldn't insert it. And I wasn't willing to explore that area. I think, I think it was related to the shame around that area and the lack of acknowledgement of that area in general in my family. And I had no guidance around it. I just, and I'm the oldest of three. So I was the, I didn't have an older sister, Mm -hmm. you know, to ask. So I sort of just ignored it. You know, that's really interesting because it mirrors some of my own story. I masturbated a lot as a kid, as a teen, Um, but it was always external. I had no interest. I had a lot of fear about internal insertion. Um, tampons were always really painful for me, so mm-hmm. I couldn't use them. When I did start kind of making out with guys and and beginning to explore, I did not want finger insertion. And then a later, when I had an IUD inserted, that at that point I was in my early or mid thirties, um, and I actively felt like my body was trying to expel it. Mm-hmm. The whole time that, and I'm sure that that was entirely, uh, you know, in my brain, but that is, that's how it actually felt. I was so afraid that I was going to, you know, go to the bathroom and discover that the IUD had fallen out because I just didn't want it inside me. Yeah, I relate to that. Um, yeah, like this, this curiosity about external, but internal was like a different world. And, and I think it manifested by feeling pain in that area. And like, like, some, like it was going to reject anything that was inside of there. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. You mentioned that you, um, that this was something that you taught to your younger sister. Mm-hmm. So was masturbation something that the two of you shared over time? Or was that just a very little kid thing? It was a little kid thing. We stopped talking about it as we got older. I don't know why. Um, I think I started to understand it as shameful more as I got older and mm-hmm. I stopped admitting to it. And so it became something we didn't do for fun anymore because it was like, oh, it had a different element involved. It had a different charge at some point for me. So we stopped talking about it. Have you ever talked about it as adults? We brought it up to each other more recently. Um we we had like a term for it and we I, I just I don't remember if it was her or me that said remember when <laughs> um remember the records remember the Fisher-Price records and we were like yeah <laughs> um I think both of us have come a long way in terms of that um so it's no longer it no longer carries shame for me so I'm able to to discuss it, it doesn't feel funny or weird I don't I've never actually asked her about what her level of shame around that was and I've never opened up that I've ever felt that way. Um, sex wasn't something I even really spoke about with my own sister very much until kind of recently. Mm-hmm. What were you, what kind of messages were you hearing in your childhood home about sex and sexuality and female sexuality? Um, not a lot from my mother. My mother did not speak of it at all. She wears her th- emotions close to her vest. She, she doesn't um, she's not open that w- that way about about anything. So I didn't really get anything from her. But from my father, um, I grew up in a house where the male is the one in power, and he and women have a place, and women are m- more or less should be seen and not heard, and they have to be ladylike. And masturbation would have certainly been frowned upon. Mm-hmm. 
that was the general messaging I got. I, my father also would tell me things like, you know, I'll lock you in a room until you're 30 kind of thing. Um, hey, I felt, me yeah, too. I know I've heard you say that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but to this and the same token that um, you had to be attractive. I mean, being attractive was of mm. utmost importance as a woman. That's your primary value. Mm. So as far as actual sex, it was something I more was like, I had to be good. That was not something that felt like safe to explore. I felt very um, modest about it. I didn't know, I didn't, I internalized the, uh, the fear of it. So I didn't want to explore it. I was upset actually in high school. I remember being like, you know, you reach that, that point where your friends start like, exp- they start dating and they start doing things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this sense of, no, no, let's just stay in childhood this, I'm not ready for this. And everyone was sort of like advancing beyond me. And that in and of itself, that became another source of shame for me because I felt like, why, why am I not ready for this? And everyone else is so ready for this. I felt very left behind. I didn't talk about, I don't think I even processed this as thoughts. I think it was just something that happened. I don't remember like contemplating this or recognizing, hey, I don't, why don't I feel comfortable with sex? I just think it was happening and I just sort of like didn't know what to do with those feelings and thoughts. And so I just sort of buried them. At what point did you begin to have curiosity about interacting with another person? I feel like I always had the physical desire. I had, I think I had a pretty healthy sex drive as a teenager and into my college years. I didn't have sex though until my first time I had sex was I was 21, um, which was late for like the group, you know, friends that I had, I was one, I was certainly the last of my friends. And so it became something that I really craved and really wanted, but had, I felt like I was at that point, especially after feeling like left behind by others, I felt like it was an area that I wasn't worthy of. And, um, it was something I felt like the physical need for, but just felt like, there, I just really had a sense that something was wrong with me. Now, this was also compounded by the fact that I had developed an eating disorder during this time and ha- grew to hate my body so vehemently that I didn't want anyone near it. So it was like this juxtaposition of craving physical touch and intimacy, both emotionally and, and physically, but feeling like I was unworthy of that and that it wasn't accessible to me. Do you have a sense of how and why the eating disorder manifested? Well, there's, that's the question. Um, <laughs> I think that it was due to a lot of different factors. I don't think sexuality is unrelated. I think part of it has to do with that amount of shame in general that I started to inherit um, and the feeling like I was broken, the feeling that my body, I wasn't in touch with my body at all. Um, I didn't see my body as something that I, that was connected to me. Um, it, It felt like the needs of my body, whether it was sexual desire or food or things that were beyond my Um, in some way beyond my control, but beyond, certainly beyond like my, like I wasn't supposed to be having them was kind of the the feeling that I had. And so, and it was compounded by, like I said, when, when, when my friends started becoming 
I don't know, becoming women in some ways and like dating and um, advancing to that next stage of life, I felt like a child still. And I feel like I used food as my way of uh, shutting myself up, shutting myself away from others. And so I, what I did was I, beca- I became anorexic at first and I just wouldn't go anywhere. My social life shut down because I refused to go anywhere that like, you know, where food was an issue or, or, or that would in- involve me being with a guy. Like I wouldn't be near him in, with my body. It didn't feel safe. Mm. Um, so eating or not eating at the time was a way for me to hibernate and hide and just be with myself and sort of freeze time. Mm. Um, as I watched everyone else sort of like going a different way, it's just it just froze me where I was at like four, 14 and 15 years old. At the same time, I lost my period. So I really became like the, the whole idea of when I look back on it and like seeing how that coincides with like your sexual awakening and like get, just getting your period and being like developing breasts and like, you know, all of that was just something that I has had I just like put stopped in its tracks through food and then ultimately developed binge eating disorder and that became a a real way for me to shut people out I wouldn't let anyone near me I I didn't let anyone even including friends like I wouldn't hug people I wouldn't let anyone touch me in any way and so I was sensory deprived in that sense for many years yeah uh there's so many questions I have uh, so I'm going to try and keep my brain focused on one at a time. Um, and the first one I recognize is kind of sensitive. So please feel free to answer or not answer as you're comfortable. Um, you said the word a few times that you felt broken, that your body felt broken. And that could very much be the result of having a lot of shame as a child. It could also be the result of having non-consensual experiences of abuse. Um, So I just want to open that question to you if you want to answer it. I didn't. Um, And there were, I know for people with eating disorders, that's a common thread. And that's, um, and I used to search for that. I remember thinking like, did something happen to me? Um, And I would just keep racking my brain, but it it wasn't a place where I, I feel like I was ever there's nothing. I mean, I have no memory of that whatsoever. I think it was just more of a collective, like growing since childhood feeling of being wrong and being, mm-hmm. and not, and I, I'm a pretty, um, I, I'm a deep thinker. I, I'm a very emotional person and I had nowhere to put this stuff. You know, my family just wasn't that way. So in that sense too, I was like the, the broken one in my family. Um, I was different than them. So I just really feel like I had a lot of emotions to explore around all of this and never could. And it just accumulated. Yeah. I, um, this is also something that I relate with you on. I spent a lot of years trying to find a very overt experience of, um, of sexual assault in my background, because I felt so broken. I felt so messed up. I had so many of the after effects mm-hmm. of childhood abuse. And it took me a really long time to get to the place of understanding that the things that I remembered were enough. Yeah, that the shame that I remembered that the emotional verbal abuse that I experienced from my father was enough 
to create yes. all of those after effects. I feel that so strongly um, because I do feel that there was a level of emotional, it's really hard for me to say the word abuse. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would, I, I can't say it. I, I don't know that it was, um, but it was certainly trauma of some kind. Sure. And um, it comes from, um, a, a, you know, my father who loved me very much and would would move the world for me, but at the same time had inherited his own beliefs about women mm -hmm. and men and felt enough of a threat in his own sense of self that he needed to, to that to become my story too. And I look back now and I never would have recognized that at the time, but now as a parent, especially, and just, just remembering a lot of the ways in which I was spoken to and the, the, the beliefs that I was given without further explanation or opportunity to inquire further was enough for me to feel like, um, it was a trauma of its own. And, continues to be in some ways. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's like a constant undoing of things that I have inherited and believed about myself and um, about how women can be treated that do have to do with sexuality. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think, it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone. So I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling intimate life and together we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. You had sex for the first time when you were 21, but it sounds like you were also deep in the throes of 
disordered eating and not wanting people to see you and not wanting people to touch you. So how did you sort of bring those two things together and allow yourself to become intimate with someone? Yeah, that was um, at the end of my, it was my senior year in college. There was something that sort of awakened in me where I felt like I had hit a rock bottom and I um, was kind of more motivated to explore my life outside of the eating disorder. And so there was a bit of a reprieve during that time where I sort of got things together enough that I I felt like I was more willing to try. It was fraught with, I mean, I, I hated my body. I was completely uncomfortable with my body. I couldn't understand why he was doing this, but it was something that I felt like it was time for. So I like needed to get that done. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> At 25, I thought I was the world's oldest virgin and just needed to get that shit done. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Rip off the bandaid. Yeah. Was it enjoyable at all? No, not physically, but emotionally, I felt something. I felt um, independent. It, mm. it gave me some sense of like feeling like I had grown up, um, which I had been craving, I think. I mean, looking back, I would have done it differently, but it was what happened. And it was not an, it wasn't an unpleasant experience, but it was, I feel like it was more for me just to, to feel like, okay, I can, I can start living now. I, I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. Like I can have sex. Like mm. it's something I can do. I'm a grown up now. Did you continue having sex with him? Yes, we did. And then we broke up not long after. And throughout my 20s, I did have sex with other other people who weren't, I wasn't in a relationship with. In fact, I think I sort of started to go the other way where I would just have sex with anyone who would have sex with me, Mm -hmm. Um, which isn't to say anyone, but I had, uh, there was some level of interest on my end as well. And I wasn't like having a lot of sex. It was just that I was having sex with men that looking back, I wish I, I maybe wish I hadn't had sex with and wouldn't make that choice today. But at the time I still, I think I was still carrying a sense of like, well, I don't know, sex scarcity or like, I'm still like really behind and I need Mm. to catch up. But it ultimately didn't really work that way because I never had a safe partner to like really explore with. It was always like casual encounters or like people I was dating just a little bit for a few months. Um, So it never felt very personal. And as a result, I didn't really enjoy sex that much. I just thought it was completely overrated. Mm. And where were you with your body and with your eating at this point? Still um, struggling um, privately with binge eating disorder and bulimia. Still extremely insecure about my body, but um, which is kind of what I think. I think about it. I'm like, well, how did I, why did I, how was I having sex when I was so, so insecure? And I think what I did was I just shut it off. I think it just further contributed to the dissociation between me and my body. And so it was something my mind wanted to do. And physically, I did feel a desire, but during the actual act of having sex, it was like I just separated the two entirely where like I wasn't thinking about my body. It was completely unrelated to what was happening in my mind. And which is probably why the sex wasn't great (laughs) because I could (laughs) never, I was never comfortable ever. Yeah. That doesn't really foster a sense of connection 
with your partner either. If you are so dissociated and disconnected from your own body, it makes it very hard to connect with a partner. That's why nothing clicked. But I didn't understand that at the time. I just really felt like this is just me and I'm just not really a sexual being, I guess. And I have desires, but they're not really fulfilled. And this is what life looks like, I guess. Mm -hmm. At what point did you become involved with somebody in a more serious, ongoing way? My husband was the first serious, ongoing safe relationship that I had, I think, ever. Mm. And how old were you when you met him? 26. Uh-huh. And what was your sexual interaction with him like at the beginning? Completely different. Um, so up until that point, I don't think I ever orgasmed from sex with a guy prior to my husband. I don't, I didn't ever. What I did find pleasurable with other guys was kissing. Kissing was like my way of connection. I couldn't access my body, but for some reason I could. When I would kiss somebody, my um, I would forget all of the body hate, I guess maybe mm. because it's just your mouth. Mm-hmm. So I was able to connect very much that way with, with, with men. But Let me just before you go mm-hmm. on, because I want to hear the rest of this, but would that change if they started bread, putting their hands on your body while you were kissing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it was just literally the kissing. Yeah. Okay. The kissing was like my a safe a safe place for me to explore my sexuality. And in fact, I did. I remember when I would kiss people, it, and certain guys in particular, where it was like a nice chemistry of kissing. I felt so, I felt something in me, like I felt sexy. I felt so sexy. And I felt like I was, I was really good at kissing and I was really good at communicating through kissing. And like the guys would respond to me then. That was where I felt the most amount of like power in a way, but also um, just being in touch with like a, a side of myself. I had no idea. Like I just, it was, it was beyond the body. It was like something else. That was as close as I got to like my sexuality before my husband. Mm-hmm. When I met my husband, I mean, he's a man who has, is the opposite of my father. He does not hold any sort of ideas about what a man, I mean, just not at all. Mm-hmm. And he is very open to like a woman being just being a powerful, strong woman. Like that's fun. That's great with him. Um, and so for him, he, he was as invested in my pleasure as I as he was in his own, I mean, more so probably in, in invested in mine. And I'd never experienced that before. And so um, sex with him was actually pretty amazing from the beginning. And he was the first, I mean, that was the first experience of good sex I ever had. And that at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what they're talking about. And also, <laughs> like, I can't believe that there's uh, someone out there who like wants me to be into this, like who's like invested in that, in my experience of this. So I did let down my guard with him as far as my body, um, because I think he just made me feel safe and accepted in general. Um, Not to say that I was comfortable with my body, but that I was willing to sink a little deeper into my body during sex with him. Hmm. What does that mean to you? Think deeper into your body. I love that phrase. Um. I was present. I feel like I just was willing to be in the present moment 
And I also would have like when he would go down on me or when he would when we would just get passionate, like having intercourse, I felt like I was willing to suspend the negative self-critical talk that mm-hmm. normally is just narrating all the time. Um, it was just this temporarily like, okay, like I'll, I'll, I'm willing to like turn down that volume for a little while and feel what this feels like and to be here and to not like, and to just suspend that, that self, that out, outer like sense of criticism that was happening, which as you have mentioned to me before is like you, that is, being present is extremely necessary for good sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I guess now I'm like thinking of like, yeah, that's what happened. Like I was allowed to be present. Because I know you, I'm going to make what I think is a fair assumption that that didn't necessarily magically heal your body and your food <laughs> issues. No, <laughs> no, not in the least. Um, he helped. My husband was a a part of the reason why I felt safe enough to eventually heal my relation heal my relationship with food and body. It was the first man who had ever accepted me and want and like, I don't know if I could even say that because I mean, I don't know if those other guys ever accepted me or not, but I wasn't letting them. Um, well, and that's a really important point. It actually doesn't matter how those other guys were willing to show up for you if you weren't willing to allow them to show up for you that way. Yeah. No, I wasn't. Yeah. I, I wasn't. And I don't know if it's just... Well, because it's also like what happens outside of the bedroom. So like those guys were not safe spaces for me outside of the bedroom. They weren't willing to commit to me in an emotional way. Whereas my husband was, and he was, I I trusted that his presence in the bedroom was like real because he proved that to me outside of it. I think that there was a part of healing that happened through sex with him because I felt like I was seen and I felt like I was appreciated for like what I was, but um, not enough certainly to heal my relationship with food that had to come from inside and my body also. I, I, I had to, that had to start inside of me and I was just too deep into that to begin. I couldn't access it just from that. How did your relationship with food and your body affect your relationship with him? And did it affect how he related with you? Yeah, I mean, I, I still had the tendency to just use food as a way to close off. So I always would retreat from him emotionally and physically when I would binge. I would not allow any touch. And he didn't understand that. He never got mad at me. He never, you know, it never was a problem that he communicated to me. But I know that I wasn't, um, I pulled away from him in our relationship every time I felt bad about myself and felt shame about myself. He patiently waited and he, he never pushed. He just would sort of wait until I was ready to talk, which inevitably I was because that's how I process. <laughs> so I would come around. But um, I think that sexually, I think that my relationship with food and body stunted our growth as a couple sexually because I just still carried that sense of shame, 
even though I was like willing, I, you know, it would suspend for a little while, but I still carried the shame and also carried a sense that I wasn't sexy enough. Mm. So like when we would have sex in the beginning and even like into our marriage, he had to initiate it every time I never initiated it. And it was like, I never wanted it outright. I just would be like, okay, which, you know, like, I feel like now I feel like there's a side of me that's very sexual and like wants sex. <laughs> um, and he never, I just, that's that side of me never got out. It never got a chance to breathe. So yeah, I think that affects your, your, your relationship as a couple, at least sexually, for sure. When he would say things to you like, oh, you're so beautiful, or you're so sexy, or I love your body, I I'm assuming that he would say those things to you. Mm -hmm. When he did, how did you respond? Oh, you're lying. Yeah. You're lying. You're like, yeah, right. And in fact, I got, I would get angry. I would say, you know, like, stop saying things to make me feel good. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I perceived it as like, not that he was trying, like not in a deceptive way and not in a way that was like, it wasn't like he was just trying to get his own agenda met. It was more that I just really felt like, why are you pretending for me? I'd rather you be honest. And he, it took me a really long time to, to, real, to entertain the idea that he was, he meant it. I couldn't comprehend a guy who would accept my body. This was like, it was clearly a lie, obviously. And I was, and you know, I asked, I would also start to attack his person. I would say, you know, this is just because you're so willing to, um, he's an optimist. So I would say like, you know, you're just, you're just too willing to see the good. Like you, you can't face the bad. Like you can't admit that the bad is there. Like this is just a product of you being um, ignorant, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, and so I would, and it would get, I would get nasty um, with it. And he would then get mad. I mean, he would get like, he would get defensive and, and he would just be like, why I'm not a liar. Why don't you believe me? Like, mm -hmm. I don't lie. He's not, he's like honest, Abe. But, um, but still to me, it was like, then, then you're just pulling the wool over your own eyes. Yeah. yeah. God, I understand that. <laughs> uh, in fact, so uh, as you know, I've been working over the last several years to do a lot of work on healing my body or my relationship with my body rather. And um, just in the last couple of weeks, I had a conversation with my partner because he has had a bunch of relationships with people who would say things like that to him. You're lying to me. Like, why can't you see what I see? And so he got to the point where he learned to just never say anything, like mm -hmm. to not say you're beautiful, you're sexy or anything. So for the close to three years that we've been together, he will only say those things. If I mm. say to him, do you think that I'm pretty? <laughs> you know, which always feels ridiculous to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to have to ask those questions. Yeah. And so finally, I just said to him, like in the last week, um, I know that this is your background, because he's told me that. I know that this is hard for you because you don't want to feel like you're like pouring your energy into a black hole. Mm. 
And in the past, I would have responded to you like that. I would have told you that you were lying to me and that why don't you just see what's really in front of you. But I'm not in that place anymore. Mm -hmm. And it would actually be really helpful to me to hear you tell me that you think that I'm beautiful or you think that I'm sexy. Like I want to hear that now. And so now we're like, I'm going to, I know he was very willing to hear that. And, you know, a couple hours later, we were fooling around and he was like, ah, you're so sexy. I love your ass. (laughs) So like he heard me. Yeah. But I'm going to have to remind him several more times because it's going to be such a switch for him to trust that he's going to get a good response from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that's probably, I mean, we've never spoken about it, but I feel like for my husband, it it sort of did like, I think in the beginning of our marriage and and in the beginning of our relationship, he had a lot more to say about how sexy it was and then, and then, and you know, how attractive he found me. And it sort of did dwindle likely because I rejected it every time. And he would, he would uh, like be at risk of a, of a personal uh, you know attack, which I'm sure was not pleasant. It's like, forget it. Like, I don't need to be like, you know, you don't need to uh, attack my character. Um, but I think it would be helpful now to hear because um because I am willing to hear it now and only yeah. recently it's, it's recent in like in comparison to how long it went on but I um I realized that you can be sexy like I mean there's just so much of a wider definition of what sexy is to me now and what beautiful is to me now and how embodiment is like is part of it and your own confidence of and your own comfort in your own body is part of it. And so as I got more comfortable in my body, I felt like I felt I could access my sexiness much more often. And then I want to hear it. Yeah. Like when I'm in, then when I'm like, <laughs> when I feel it, then you, I want to, I would like you to tell me all about it. And yeah, I mean, maybe it's a conversation worth us having as well, because I'm willing to accept it now. I'm willing to hear you. And I can see it now through his eyes. Like, I understand what he meant. Like, do I think, do I feel like I can walk on a beach in a bikini and feel like every man? No, I'm not. I don't. That's not where I'm at. But I, do I feel like I totally understand why my husband finds me, you know, sexy? Yes. I, I, I know what he's talking about now. Mm-hmm. And like, I, yeah. And then I want to own it. I, I want to, like, it's, it makes for such, it makes for much more, I have three kids, right? Where they're young. So for us to have those moments of feeling like we're both like, you know, sexy, not teenagers, but you know, that we're like, <laughs> that we have that sort of element of fun um, feels like a new world to me. It feels like this is accessible. This is not something I thought I had access to. Yeah. And you can sort of create that for yourself. I mean, you were part of teaching me that recently and just in terms of you have that choice to do that for yourself and then you just like the way I healed my food and body image it was just a matter of changing thoughts and just modifying the way you think and when you do that like a whole nother door opens up and you can sort of participate in a whole different way of what you know and you realize how boxed in you've been this whole time Mm -hmm. to me it's like a really cool fun like I mean, just circling back to where we started from like that shameful place of like, I have to do this in secrecy and shame, you know, with the record player. And now like, this is something we get to do now. And like, I like 
all times a day, I'm like thinking about it sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, like this is a new part of my life, you know, that I have never really experienced like this before. I've never, I've never looked at sex as something I had like this much access to. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Good Girls Talk About Sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. What's a question or concern you have about sex or your sex life? Well, let's see. I had mentioned this in, in um, our recent PJ party call, where kissing, you know, Again, it comes, there's things that circle back where the kissing element of my relation of with my husband in particular, um, the sex was great. The sex is great, but the kissing wasn't as good as it was when I was single Mm -hmm. and like having those like meaningless sort of relationships, which I just found very interesting and um, is one of the things, it's one of the points of, of sex that continue, like bothers me a bit. Because it had been the way that I did access my sexuality, the only way I was able to access it back then. And then all of a sudden, interestingly, it was gone in my marriage. And, um, and it was, I would, I didn't use it for that anymore. So that's, that's like the one piece that remains in terms of something more to explore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we have talked about this before. um, But hearing you talk about it this time, it reminds me of my own experience 
where my first real experience of sexual touch, I was a senior in college. Uh, we were not having intercourse, but we would sit for an hour or more in his car at night and make out and he would play with my breasts. And I could come very close to orgasm just from him touching my breasts. And um, now my breasts have very little sensation. Hmm. And that is something that has for a long time really bothered me. I've begun to learn over the last few years that part of it is simply that my sensation receptors are in different places than I expected they were supposed to be. Like I thought they were supposed to be centered in the nipple and they're in fact around the, you hmm. know, the outside and the the beneath of the breast. And I think that for whatever reason, this guy must have just <laughs> somehow happened upon that <laughs> because I, all I knew was that I was having pleasure. I was not yeah. paying attention to where or how he was touching me. But I think it's interesting that those things that when we were so disconnected from our mm. bodies gave us so much pleasure, now that we are more connected to our bodies, don't, that's a really interesting thing that I haven't thought about much. And, and so I'm, I'm very curious to explore this more hearing that same story from you. Yeah, it that is really interesting. And I feel that like I feel yeah, it's just like this missing piece that I'm not quite sure how to fit it in. But but the more that I think about it, and I haven't admittedly thought about it a lot um, until recently. Maybe it is about just um, redefining, like mm -hmm. redefining what what it means. I, I don't know. That word is popping into my head. I'm not quite sure how it even makes sense. But it, to me, like there's something about I, I feel that I need to re or I'd like to redefine what kissing is and the experience that can be with someone who is also connecting to my whole body um, and how it can work together versus having it be this isolated yeah. experience that maybe like before felt the way it felt because it was the only gateway I had mm -hmm. into it. And, and it, so it had more charge to it. Whereas now it's part of a whole experience and I get to redefine, I think how it plays into the whole versus it being the only means of access. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I'll get back yeah. to you. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm also not sure. I'm playing with this idea as you're talking. It's easier for me to think about it on you than it is on myself. So I'm going okay. <laughs> to use Go you. Go for it. Um, if your experience of kissing was that there was pleasure, but also that a lot of your attention was being used to block out the rest mm. of your body, mm -hmm. that potentially now if you're kissing, it creates that sort of like Pavlov's response that says, I'm supposed to tune out the rest mm. of my body mm. now, but now I'm no longer willing to do that. And it sets up a, a conflict inside your brain so that you're not able to really invest in the kissing. Yeah, that's fascinating. Huh. And totally sounds like it could be. Yeah, because kissing meant to me something that meant also disconnection from my body. Whereas now, so to bring it up again is like, wait, this doesn't, this is dissonant. Like this is yeah. not, 
which interestingly, after I had spoken about this to you last time, when I, when I brought this up, which is the first time I'd said it aloud to anyone, I tried it. Like I tried to initiate kissing and it was much, I mean, like significant. It was great. Actually, it was really fun. Um, because what you had told me was that you never initiated kissing. Yeah. And it was, and that when he did, I didn't, yeah, I, I, I think I was, you're right. When he would initiate it, I was like, get off. No, <laughs> I just was like, no, I, I'm not, um, again, closed off. I closed off that part of it. So it was like a flip where my body was now open, but my mouth was not. <laughs> and now, and then, so to, to, maybe it was like a binary. I saw it as like one or the other. And then to, to, again, it was like a redefinition of what kissing would mean and that both my body and my mouth could be alive at the same time. Yeah. And that it's, it be, I mean, I find this to be true in so many things, but like, just there's like, when there's a little mental shift where you're like open to something a little differently, or you're willing to see it in like a different way or a new, uh, with new eyes, you, it's like, oh, okay, this can ha- like, this can actually happen. And, and it's, it's. It again, it opens like a door of like, oh, we can do it this way. Yeah, all right. Like, it didn't have to be, I didn't have to be, what was I doing all that time? Like, thinking it was this one way. So, yeah, it's been an ongoing exploration for in that piece for that, you know, in the past, I mean, just a couple of weeks. But um, I do, I do sense a shift in it when I um, actively and intentionally try to attend to it. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? I think when I was young, like when I was um, more in like middle school, I don't know if it would be a sexual urge, but I remember like looking at women's bodies and thinking how sexy they were Mm -hmm. and feeling like, does that make me a lesbian? Um, Which I was not comfortable with at all at that time, which I ultimately don't identify as that, but I have an appreciation for women's bodies that at one time really confused me. I think that we are all sexualized to the female form from a very young age. Mm. Women's bodies are used to sell everything to us. right? And so I think that there is a big gray area there for a lot of Mm. women about, and what is what I'm feeling a sexual attraction or is it an appreciation born of all of the messaging that I've received? Yeah, that's a great distinction and very true and sounds right. Stephanie, we have done it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. I have more to think about now. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, 
and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. Hold up. 